again, good morning. We are continuing the Ephesians sermon series today. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn right now to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 1 through 16 today. And at this point, if you are physically able to stand, I want to invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing here, and he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Father, Now I pray, as always when I preach, that you will have total control of every word that comes out of my mouth. Father, I pray that I will preach your word faithfully and truthfully. And Father, I just pray that you would just simply hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would just move me out of the way and let them see you instead. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is Unity in the Body of Christ. Let me see if I can connect here one more time. All right. We'll try that. But that's one reason that we encourage you to bring your Bibles with you. Follow along in your Bibles Because I plan to preach no matter what this morning. If the screen works, that'll be wonderful. But if it doesn't, we still have God's Word. And let me tell you, God's Word is God's Word. 
screen or no screen, and it is sufficient. But this morning, we are going to be talking about unity in the body of Christ. And as we take a look at the first six verses this morning, we're going to see that as Christians, we're not just supposed to talk about unity. As Christians, we have a call to unity. We have a call to unity. Again, title of this morning's sermon is Unity in the Body of Christ. Now, remember last week, we were also in the book of Ephesians, and last week the mystery was revealed, and that mystery was that Jews and Gentiles can worship together as believers in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ applies both to Jews and Gentiles. That's great news. And as a result, we as Christians, we should display spiritual unity and we should be united in all of our actions. And as we begin to look at these verses this morning, as Paul begins here in verse 1, he reminds us that he is a prisoner for the Lord. And this sounds incredibly familiar to the beginning of last Sunday's message, doesn't it? Paul reminded us last Sunday that although he was physically detained in a prison as he is writing this letter, he did not consider himself a prisoner of the prison system in Rome. Instead, he considered himself to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he is reminding of us of that same thing here as this chapter begins, that he is a prisoner for the Lord. And he urges his readers right here in verse 1 to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And his initial reader, it was the Ephesian church. But guess who his readers are now? They're us. The reader now is us, so he is urging each of us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Now, Paul is considering himself to be a prisoner of the Lord, and we should consider ourselves to be a prisoner for the Lord, too. Paul is giving up his physical freedom to follow Christ, and he's doing it from a prison cell. And we should be willing to do the very same thing. And then in verse 2, he gives us some qualities of exactly how we as Christians are expected to walk. The first is with humility and gentleness, with patience, and then bearing one with one another in love. We're going to take a look at each of these individually. So when we think about humility... I think it helps if we look and think about humility as looking at ourselves as God sees us. You know, we each have value. Each of us have value for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But you know what? None of us has any more value than the other person. My value to the kingdom of Christ is no more or less significant than yours. If you are truly in Jesus Christ, when we think of humility, it is to see ourselves as God sees us, 
And then we must serve God by serving others. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds a whole lot like love God, love people. Serve God, serve others. That is what the world should see as they look at us. They should see that we are serving God by serving others. And guess what happens when we all do that? The needs of everyone are met. And they're met with love and harmony. And then the next quality that Paul talks about is gentleness. And I think it helps if we think of gentleness that we equate it with meekness. Gentleness and meekness go together. And I'll tell you, for many years, people have incorrectly thought about meekness, and they have associated meekness with weakness. And those two things do not go together. Meekness and weakness are not the same thing. Now, I want you to think about weakness, uh, meekness like this. I'm getting my words confused here. But when we think about gentleness or meekness, I want us to think about strength under control. Many, many years ago, when war horses were trained to go to battle, those, those animals had impressive strength, incredible strength. But those war horses were trained to be under the total control of their master, under the total control of their master. And their master was the person that was riding them. So even, even though these horses had incredible strength, they were trained to be meek and to completely obey, to be completely under the control of the person that was actually riding the horse. Now, when, when we think about gentleness or meekness as far as our life as Christians are concerned, who should we be under the, the total control of? Jesus. We should be under the total control of Jesus Christ. Now, patience is another characteristic that Paul talks about. And I think when we think of patience, it helps a whole lot if we can think of it this way. Realizing that God's timeline and that his timetable, it's always good. Even in the midst of things that our minds just simply cannot understand. God's timing and his timetable, they're always perfect. Especially in those times that our minds can't comprehend how or why or when. I wonder... Have we ever been guilty of praying this for patience? Lord, I need patience. Would you give it to me? But I need it right now. You know, I think we've probably all been guilty of praying that prayer. But patience is probably not going to come that quickly to us. It's something that has to be worked at. It has to be something that we truly desire. And you know our society today doesn't help us a whole lot with patience, does it? We are drilled to do everything as fast as we possibly can. How fast can you cook a meal? How, how quickly will it be ready in the microwave? Society drills this idea in our minds that everything has to happen quickly and things don't always happen quickly. But you know, when I think of people in the Bible that just come to the front of my mind as being incredibly patient. I think about three people, 
Abraham, Noah, and Moses. Now, Brother Blake has been preaching about Abraham um, in his Genesis sermon series on Sunday mornings. But, you know, God had a conversation with Abraham, and he told him about certain things that were going to happen. But you know what? They didn't happen quickly, did they? If you know the story of Abraham, you know it took years before his eyes realized that what God said really, before his eyes saw what God said actually transpire. And then it's documented in Hebrews 6.15 that Abraham waited patiently. I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, wouldn't it be wonderful if many years after we have left the face of this earth, that somebody opens up a journal or a book and it has our name written in it, they waited patiently upon the Lord. I'm not sure about many other things other than he was a follower of Christ that I would rather be written about me. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see that? And then Noah, it's the second person that I want to talk about. He was told to build an ark. And he was obedient. And I think Noah is even more impressive when we factor in a couple of things. Number one, it wasn't raining when God told Noah to build the ark. It wasn't raining. Number two, Noah was not even physically located anywhere near a body of water of any magnitude. Yet for 100 years... Noah worked on the ark 100 years. I imagine it took a great deal of patience because can't you just imagine the comments that people would have said in passing, the comments that people would have made face-to-face? He's crazy. Why is he building a boat? What's he think he's going to do with it? But then it finally started raining. And then it became apparent what Noah was going to do with that ark and what God was going to do with the ark. But that took patience. The final person I want to talk about that I think distributes or exhibits a lot of patience is Moses. You know, he waited 40 years from the time he received the burden to deliver the children of Israel and to the time that it actually happened. It took patience. And, you know, as humans, we are just not typically patient people. But with Jesus, we can be patient. And that's exactly what we are expected to be. We've got to get to the point where we're comfortable with waiting for God to act how, where, and when he chooses. And then this final characteristic Bearing with one another in love. Now, this is the willingness to put up with somebody or someone in a spirit of agape love. This means that we make a commitment for my will to benefit somebody else. Now, for each of these characteristics that we have been talking about, each of them will cause unity of the spirit to be maintained in the bond of peace. Now, this happens when we make our relationship with one another peaceful and that we make our relationships with other people our main priority instead of seeking personal gain. 
Now, Paul is definitely calling for unity in this verse, and we're going to see as we look at the rest of our text for today that Paul is going to continue to focus on unity for the next 13 verses. So it must be important. Now, Paul explains that there's one body and there is one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Again, we we have a call to unity. It's just not something that we read about. Paul's appealing here for corporate unity in the body of Christ, and he is making that appeal on the basis of spiritual unity. You know, when we think of the church, it's supposed to be one body. Believers meet all over the world in many different buildings, many different countries. They speak many different languages. They are experiencing various cultures, but none of those things separates the body of Christ Wherever those people are worshiping, if they are worshiping Jesus Christ, they remain the body of Christ. And then the church obeys one spirit. And God's spirit always speaks one truth. And it guides the church to unity. And then the church lives in the light of the one hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it ensures that the true believer, they're also going to experience a resurrection to eternal life. And so we should, as the church, act in that unity now. Now in verse 5, Paul mentions one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We realize as the church that salvation comes directly from the Lord. Jesus Christ died, and he rose again. And we're supposed to be united if we are following Jesus as our Savior. Now, just a couple of days ago, I experienced my 56th birthday. And, you know, as I think back over those 56 years... I've seen a lot occur in and outside of churches. And unfortunately, I have seen a number of churches experience church splits. I have never, thankfully, been involved with any church that experienced a church split. But do you know what I started to notice about churches that go through church splits? They take their eyes off of Jesus. They take their eyes off of Jesus. They start working for personal gain, for personal glory, instead of working for the glory of Jesus Christ. Church, I want you to hear me this morning. As long as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, as long as we continue serving him, we're not going to experience a church split. And praise God for that. We need Jesus, and we need to keep our eyes upon him. Our church, the the church proclaims one faith, and our faith, faith, I want you to hear me loud and clear this morning, our faith is in Jesus. Our faith cannot be in anything else. Everything else will pass away, but Jesus is going to remain. 
And again, if we are following Jesus, unity is not optional. It's actually required. It's part of our call. That's one of the reasons that the Bible addresses how we are supposed to handle disagreements or disputes with other people. You know, we're humans. Yes, we're following Jesus, but we're also human. There are going to be times that we might not agree perfectly with everybody. But do you know what we're supposed to do when we disagree with somebody? We're supposed to go to them and talk to them about it. We're not supposed to go to others and talk to other people about that person. And human society sort of drills that into us. It seems like it's just the human response so many times is to talk to everybody else about a problem before you actually talk to the individual. And as Christians, that is not what we're called to do. Those type of things don't produce unity. And then he says one baptism. You know, um, when we experience a baptism here, we always try to be very intentional to describe what baptism is and also what baptism is not. You know, it is very important for a believer to follow through with what we call believer's baptism. But just in case you have never heard us talk about this before, I want to be clear that you understand baptism is not what saves a person. Baptism does not save a person. Now, again, it is very important that we follow through with believers' baptism for a number of reasons. But at the top of the list is because Jesus himself was baptized. So we should, we should follow through with, with baptism as well. But baptism represents to the world that a change has happened to that person, that they have died to their old self, and now they are following Jesus instead of their way of life. And then one God is mentioned here in verse 6. The worship of this one God unites and unifies the church. As Christians, we are supposed to witness together, and we are supposed to portray unity to the world and they're looking. The world is looking at us all of the time to see how we will react. And then we're going to see in our final section of verses for today that unity must be cultivated. And as we prepare to talk about that, I want to give you just an example. I want us to all imagine for just a moment that everybody in this room, we're growing a garden together. Now, I, 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 I suspect that a good number of you raise gardens. But if you're not, you're going to pretend for just a few minutes that you're a gardener and we're all working together to raise a garden for this season. Now, I want you to imagine that we have all worked tirelessly to prepare the ground before the planting ever happens. And it's, time, it's now time to plant, but the ground is prepared perfectly. And so as we get ready to actually plant, we have taken just a great amount of effort to make sure that the rows are marked off perfectly straight. And they are. We've got them marked straight. And now we are in the process of planting. And we have even taken really good care to make sure that everything is planted the appropriate distance from everything else. 
and it's planted. And now we're really going to use our imagination. We're going to imagine that every time that that garden needs to be watered, that it rains the perfect amount. Not, not too much and, and not enough. It's the perfect amount of rain that falls. Now, if you've ever raised a garden, you'll realize that rarely ever happens. But we're using that as an example this morning. Everything is perfect about this garden. So with that said, what will happen to that perfect garden if we stop there? If we never do anything else? If we never put any work into that garden? If we never cultivate that garden? Here's what's going to happen. Weeds and filth are going to creep in that beautiful garden, and it's going to snuff it out, as my grandparents would say. It will choke it out. It will not be very long until you'll not even be able to see those perfectly straight rows. And you probably won't even know where to go to try to harvest any vegetables. So now I want us to turn our attention to unity within a church. It requires some effort. It requires some work. And we're going to see that in this last section of verses we have to cultivate unity. And if we don't, the result will be that we're going to look incredibly like the world. Now, Paul tells us in verse 7 that at the moment of salvation, we receive at least one spiritual gift. Sometimes believers are sort of shocked to realize that they've got a spiritual gift. But they do. Every believer, every true Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, Brother Blake and I would love to give you a spiritual gifts assessment that actually does a pretty good job of determining what your spiritual gifts are. But you can rest assured, if you are a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift. And you know what? We have different gifts. Your, your spiritual gift is probably not the same as mine. At least not all of them, and mine are not the same as yours, and that's beautiful. You know why it's beautiful? We need each other. We need each other. And when we use those spiritual gifts in combination with other people's spiritual gifts, it helps to produce unity. Now, beginning in verse 8, Paul begins to give a summary of Psalm 68, and that particular psalm is known as a victory hymn or a victory psalm. And just keep in mind when you read that, that it was customary at that time that when kings went to battle, when, when a king and his army would win a significant battle, that king would bring back the spoils of that particular battle. And... That included enemies that they had captured, but it also included, most of the time, some of their own people who had been captured by the enemy. And it was considered to be a great honor for that king to release those people in front of his own people. Here in these verses... David is painting a picture for the readers of God ascending into heaven after having been victorious against his earthly enemies and by freeing those who had been captive to the forces of evil. 
Verse 11, it ties back to the, first, the last part of verse 7. This helps us to see that there is a relationship between the call to unity and the spiritual gifts that Christ has given us. And then in verse 12, it tells us that there's supposed to be some equipping going on. We are to constantly prepare or to equip God's people for the work of the ministry, to serve, to build up the body of Christ. And when this happens, we see what the result will be in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So our goal as a church is that each member will show to the world, all of the world, what Jesus looks like. How will the world know? Well, hopefully we look like Christ. And when they look at us, they see Jesus because we are serving as his hands and his feet. And finally, as we look at these final two verses, we see the result of what using our spiritual gifts are to equip, it will be that we will no longer be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in the deceitful schemes. And you know, when you read these verses, maybe you think, I'm not easily confused. Praise God for that if you're not easily confused. But I want to remind you, as we do often, any time that you hear a sermon preached, you've got the responsibility to compare it to the Word of God. Because there are things that are preached in pulpits all over the world that unfortunately are not true. Some of those things happen just by an accident, by an error, by somebody saying something that they did not mean to say. And others are unfortunately intentional. But take what you hear preached and compare it to the Word of God, and then you will not be confused by every wind of doctrine as he describes it here Verses 15 and 16 are two of my favorite verses from this particular passage. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The goal is spiritual maturity. And that happens when we use our gifts and work together to equip each other. We really need to keep that in mind. And one of the things that just, I guess, ministered to me as I was preparing for this message today is the, the phrase that I have got circled right now, when each part is working properly. I want to give you just an example about myself right now. You know, I told you that I recently experienced my 56th birthday. So several months ago, I noticed I started having trouble with my right shoulder. I know of nothing that I have done to hurt my shoulder. I have not 
taken a fall. I have not lifted anything that was too heavy. I have not run into anything that I know of, (laughs) that I remember. Um, But it hurts. At times, severe pain hurts. And one of the things that hurts it the most is like, let's just imagine that the process of putting on this shirt, my entire lifetime, I have put on my shirts by sticking my left arm in first. Well, if I do that, now remember, it's my right shoulder that's that I'm having the trouble with. If I put my left arm in first and then I reach around like I have done my entire lifetime and grab that right hole for that sleeve, it will bring me to my knees in pain. And so I've had to learn how to put on my shirts by putting my right arm through first. And you know what? To many of you, that probably doesn't sound like a big deal at all. But I want to encourage you to try it. It's a big deal. I mean, (laughs) to start with, I had to have Karen to help me to put on my shirts because I could not get it in the right place to put it on. Now, I can now, but it took a while to learn how to do that. And, you know, I just want to tell you that to say this. Not all of my body was working correctly. Not all my joints were working correctly. Not all of my body systems were working correctly. And, you know, we just sort of have this assumption that they're all going to work perfectly, don't we? And then we experience birthdays. <laughs> and we, we start the aging process and things start to hurt that you didn't even realize you had. And, but with that said, the church is the body of Christ. And for it to function properly... Every part of it, which includes you and includes me, we've got to work together properly. And when that happens, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, there's no insignificant gifts. Through the lens that Jesus looks through, there are no insignificant tasks you're serving the Lord, rest assured. He knows it. He sees the things that you do, even if nobody else does. So I want to encourage you, serve. Serve freely. Show the world that we are different from the world. And let's do that in love. One of the verses that I don't think I talked about was, we have a call to speak the truth in love. Now, it involves speaking the truth but we've got to do it in love. It's definitely possible to speak the truth, but not do it in a loving manner, and that rarely ever comes out of anything good. We are called as Christians to speak the truth in love. As we close this morning, many of you have heard me say before, I just feel like each time that I preach, I am supposed to tell the listener how it is a person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's, it's a very simple process. You've heard Many of you have heard me say it multiple, multiple times, but it truly is as easy as we teach children in vacation Bible school. The ABCs of Christianity. The A, admit, it, it means that we have to admit that there is sin in our life, that we are a sinner, that we have done some things, 
that has not honored Christ. And as a result of those things that we call sin, it's made a separation between us and Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to admit that that sin is in our life, that we are a sinner. The B stands for belief. That Jesus is is God's son, that he came, that he was born of a virgin, that he was here on this earth for thirty something years. He had a ministry, and all the time that he was on the earth, he never committed any type of sin. He loved us so much that he was willing to go and give his life for us on that old rugged cross, and that is why we celebrate Easter. And then the C stands for to confess that Jesus is Lord. And there is a part of that confess process that includes turning from our life of sin. Many of you have heard me say multiple times, it is definitely true. Jesus will meet us wherever we are, but don't expect him to leave you there. He expects you to grow. He expects us as Christians to constantly be equipping others for the work of the ministry to which we have been called. Now, if you will do those three things, the admit, believe, and confess, and you're serious about it, you will be saved. Scripture says, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, the part of following Jesus, I want to just be very truthful with you. That's the hard part. When life gets difficult, when things don't go as planned, the, the following Jesus is the part that takes, it's a journey. It is a journey. It is a process. But we keep our eyes on Jesus. Tur- turn your eyes on Jesus, as that old song says, and never take our eyes off of him. That's when we'll see unity. That's when we'll celebrate unity of the body of Christ. This morning... Um, Kaylee's going to come and sing a song. The invitation is going to look just a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you, I am going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads the entire length of the invitation this morning, and I want you to pray. I believe that there are people here this morning that need to make a decision. I don't know what those decisions are. Maybe there's somebody here that does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, I will tell you there is no finer day than today to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I never try to scare people when I preach. But I want to, I want to remind you, if any of us had any doubt as to how fragile life can be and how quickly that it can end, we had two reminders of it on Friday here in Greene County. It can end at any moment. Often it does end when we are not expecting it at all. I wonder this morning if we were to stand before Jesus face to face right this very minute, are we prepared? Are we prepared to meet him? If we're not, you need to come today and take care of that between you and Jesus. I'll be glad to pray with you. Brother Blake will be glad to pray with you. But if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, no matter what you think your, your greatest problem is, it's that you don't know Jesus. If you are not in Christ this morning, 
Maybe you have a decision to make. Maybe you need to come and just pray and seek wisdom from the Lord. This, this altar is open, and we invite you to come. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we, we give you praise to know that even in times that we don't understand, that you are still in control. Father, your eyes see things that often our eyes don't see. Father, I pray that even when we experience those things, that it will cause us to trust and rely on you even more. Father, I pray for people right now that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, may this be the day that those chains will be released. Father, I pray that we will see salvation in this place today. And it's in your name I pray.